pray this finds you having a blessed day today and uh, looking forward to getting into God's Word together. We will uh, continue to be in the book of Judges. Uh, we're going to be in Judges chapter 2 this morning. And um, it's a passage that uh, I think is going to really set the stage for the rest of the book of Judges. Um, this is a passage to where um, there is some clarity um, God uh, speaks very uh, openly and bluntly uh, about what is going on, and uh, I think we're going to be able to learn uh, some some truths out of this that uh, for the nation of Israel, but then also um, that we can be able to make applicable to our lives as well. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 2. We're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning. And uh, I'm going to read them, and then we will get into just kind of seeing what's really going on here. It says that in verse 1, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they named the place Bochum and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. So this is a passage of scripture we've dealt with uh, over the last couple of weeks. This idea of the nation of Israel um, being granted the land, being granted um, uh, the promise that God has given them um, through um, the covenant he made. Uh, they have entered the promised land, but the problem that they've had is that they refuse to drive out the other nations. Um, they refused to remove the sinful nations that were around them. And one of the things that took place from that is these godless nations began to just kind of dwell with them. Well, that created a lot of problem um, because what we find, um, if we know anything about Scripture, is that the nation of Israel constantly had problems with uh, other nations and their gods and worshiping and following false gods. And so God, uh, in essence, has, you could almost say, laid down a gauntlet here. And uh, these are words that I don't think anyone would ever want to be able to uh, hear or have to deal with from the Lord. And that is that the Lord is not going to move on your behalf. See, the question that I have that, that kind of starts all this off is, what do you do when God refuses to move? on your behalf. He specifically told him here in verse 3, Therefore I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. If you go back and you look at what we talked about previously, in verse 19 of chapter 1, it said, The Lord was with Judah and enabled them to take possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the people who were living there because the people had iron chariots. If you remember, I told you that was a lot about perspective, that they were so overwhelmed with the iron chariots that they weren't realizing who God you know, was and what God had done. And so 
God had already given them the ability to do this. God had already given them, um, you know, the opportunity to be able to move, to uh, uh, get these people out of the land, to be able to really take possession of the land. And the nation of Israel has refused. And so God said, I'm not going to move on your behalf now. I've, I've enabled you. I've given you the power. And now I'm not going to move. Uh, to me, that has to be one of the scariest um, places to be in. Uh, to know that God has refused to move on your behalf. See, and, and it's not that I'm wanting to kind of belabor the point um, each week with it, but Israel has really been overly blessed. God's kept his promise and went even beyond the promises that he gave them in blessing them. Uh, God not only done that for the nation of Israel, he does it for us. I mean, he just goes so far above and beyond um, blessing us with what we deserve. Um, and yet because of this being so overly blessed that led to complacency, Satan, you know, used that as an opportunity to give them a wandering heart. And they chose to accept sinful, godless nations and to dwell with them rather than to drive these nations out and to make sure that they were living holy and devoted to the Lord. Um, you know, which is, is really what the Lord wants us to do. He's wanting us to live holy and devoted to Him because He wants us to rely on Him. He doesn't want us to try to rely on our strengths. He doesn't want us to rely on, you know, the things that are around us. Uh, he wants us to truly rely on Him. And one of the things that is a struggle with this is when you have been so overly blessed your reliance upon the Lord begins to wane. And, you know, this, this reminds me of the passage in the book of James where he says, you know, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and temptations. You know, nobody that I know of loves to, to be going through trials. I've never met a person yet who was excited that, you know, they woke up this morning and they were having to deal with, you know, all of these tough trials in their lives. But yet one of the things that we find, and it's, it's with the nation of Israel, it's with certain individuals in Scripture, and it's, it's even in our own lives. You know, when I look at myself, I can tell you that the times that I was more uh, devoted to prayer, more in tune with what God was wanting me to do, and more surrendered to what God would, would want for my life was when trials were going on, when there was difficulties that were going on, and... What that done is that kept me from being complacent and that kept me with my focus and my reliance upon the Lord. Um, what happens when we get into a state of being blessed, Satan wants us to just kind of put it on cruise control. And what we have to understand is that the whole purpose of the Christian walk is for us to continuously every day to be more Christ-like. We are uh, daily to be more conformed into the image of Jesus. Uh, that's what Scripture tells us. And in order for that to happen, there has to be a constant flow of God moving in your life to kind of help you to understand what is going on what sin you may have in your life, what things are preventing you from becoming more like Christ. And with that, 
it helps you to, to, to be reliant upon Him. But when you get to the point to where you're not having trials, there's not a lot of struggles, there's not a lot going on, it's amazing how that our time can get so busy. We don't need to really focus so much on prayer. We don't need to focus so much on Bible reading because everything seems to be going well. But then the moment that all of that stuff kind of kicks off and things kind of start going south, the first thing we do is, God, why? God, why is all this stuff going on? And, you know, sometimes I think about my own life that God is just kind of sitting there saying, well, you should know why. Look what's happening. You you, you were so dedicated to me there for such a period of time because I was I was moving in your life and you couldn't do anything and you had to be reliant upon me. But now what's happening is you've been so blessed that you're just kind of looking at it and saying, you know, I, I'm okay. And you're not, you're not calling out to me. And so it's in those moments that we are very vulnerable in our spiritual walk because the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that when we're in a state to where we're being overly blessed, he wants to take advantage of that. And he wants us to be able to kind of pull back. He wants us to be on cruise control. And so it's a very uh, delicate time. And that's what's happening here. And so um, with this, I believe that God is is teaching uh, some tough truths here. Uh, and so we're going to look at three of those. And the first one that we're going to look at is, since the nation of Israel was disobedient to drive out the sinful nations, God refused to do it for them. See, one of the things that happens sometimes, and I make this statement a lot, you know, God does give us common sense. And, you know, sometimes I think we... We over-spiritualize the will of God. Now, what I mean by that is this. We, we get into a point to where we, we have that quintessential, you know, I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life. I heard a statement a long time ago, God will never hide his will from his children. The problem is, is that usually God's will does not align with us or our will or what we want. And so what happens is it's one of those things that when God is uh, when, when things are moving in our lives, sometimes God just kind of gives us that whole Captain Obvious thing. You know, it, it shouldn't have been rocket science for the nation of Israel to realize we have nations that are living in our country. They worship false gods, and God has given us the authority to drive them out, and he's told us he wants us to drive them out. So common sense says we don't really need to pray about this. We just need to drive these people out. The problem is, is the nation of Israel just decided they didn't want to do that because it was going to be too much work. Uh, maybe they were tired of war. Maybe they were tired of fighting. Maybe they were, you know, who knows what the, the situation was. However, what we do know is that they just did not do it. And God had enabled them to do this, but they chose not to. So now because of their refusal to be obedient to God, God says, you know what? I'm going to refuse to drive them out. You're not going to call on me and ask me to drive these people out when I've already given you the ability to do it. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. And, and, and I hope that you kind of hear what I'm saying with this because th this could come across as me being kind of ugly or hard-hearted. But I remember there was this lady when I was growing up and it was when I was first in uh, you know, the ministry. And there was this lady who would come to church and she was there every Sunday morning and every Sunday morning she had the same exact prayer request. Her prayer request was, uh, I want you all to pray for my lost children. 
the problem that kind of was behind the scenes is that what she would do is she would go home and she was the biggest church gossip. She would go home and she would trash the pastor. She would trash things that were going on in the church. She would trash people within the church. And she would do that in front of her children. And I know that because uh, some of her children told me this. And so they basically said, you know, Every time that mom comes home, all she's doing is talking about how horrible things are, how horrible the pastor is, and how she can't stand this person, and how she can't stand the pastor, and this and that. And, you know, we just don't want anything to do with that. Why in the world would we want to be part of something that is so miserable? We don't want to come to church. We don't want to be Christians. And I remember that she come up to me one time specifically and said, you know, I want you to really be praying for my children. And I said, you know, I said, I don't know that I can because I said, you've got to start doing your part. You've got to be the witness in the home. It's not that you come to church and in that one hour, one hour and a half, whatever it may be, you're going to completely take away everything that, that, this, that, that she's doing within the home. And it's the same thing here, like in this situation. God is telling the nation of Israel, here's the common sense. You need to be able to drive these people out, but they chose not to. This lady's wanting her kids to be saved, but she's actually the cog in the wheel, shooting themselves in the foot by doing what she's doing and making them not want anything to do with the Lord. But yet then she's wondering, why in the world is God not moving and my kid's not getting saved? It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the fact that She's shooting herself in her own foot. And that's what the nation of Israel is doing here. The problem is the nation of Israel wants their cake and eat it too. They want God to bless them mightily. They want God to be able to do the miraculous for them. But they want to be able to worship with these other nations. They want to be able to give in to the lust of the flesh with these other nations. And their, their horrible worship styles <coughs> that they do. And God says, listen, I've already given you the ability to do what you need to do. And you refuse to do that. So I'm not going to do anything for you. I'm not going to drive these people out. You can call on me all day long. I'm not going to do it. Here's the second truth. These nations, as it says here, will be a thorn in Israel's lives. That's what the angel said. It said, they will be a thorn in your side and their gods will be a trap for you. So this thorn is that these nations will be a temptation that prevents Israel from truly worshiping God. What's going to happen is that the nation of Israel, by not driving them out, are going to constantly be tossed around trying to figure out who and what to worship. They're not going to be able to have any solidity in their lives. They're going to be bouncing around. They're not going to have any solid foundation. And what they're going to do is they're going to want God to solve things, but God's not going to move on their behalf. They're going to pray to these false gods. They're going to do these... Um, hedonistic worship styles with these other false gods, but nothing's going to happen because the false god is not a god at all. And so the nation of Israel is, is basically just going to be given in to their lustful desires in every aspect, and they're going to have no foundation in which to stand on. And what's going to happen is they're not going to be able to lead anybody in their family. They're not going to be able to lead their children because they have no foundation to lead them with which is scary. 
It's a scary position to be in. And and God says, listen, they're going to be a thorn in your side. They are going... One of the things I think that is so important about this, this analogy of a thorn in their side is that this thorn will always cause pain. I remember when me and my wife first got married, we were living uh, at her um, grandfather and grandmother's house that they had given to us when we first got married. It was uh, There was a lot of work that needed to be done. There was a lot of uh, the area that brush needed to be cut and all that kind of stuff. So I remember that I went out and I was cutting on all this brush and everything. And I remember I got into a, uh, a briar bush, uh, a bush that had a bunch of thorns. And I remember that I got kind of caught up and I, I failed. And one of the briars, or one of the thorns, actually went in to my leg. And it buried. And I couldn't get it out. And it really hurt. But it was one of those things to where I just kind of didn't think a whole lot about it. And, you know, the pain kind of went away. But every now and then, it would just really hurt. And you could look under the skin and you could see that thorn there. And three years later, I remember I was sitting out on the porch one morning. And I was just sitting out there kind of enjoying things. And I noticed that that thorn was really visible. And I just kind of took my fingers and I pinched it. And the thorn literally come out of my leg. The whole entire thorn. Uh, Apparently my body had uh, put some kind of fleshly encasing around it. And so when it come out, it had like this, this white casing around the thorn. And I remember that, you know, there was always this little bit of pain there in my knee, but Never, you know, it just kind of annoy you there for a while. But then after that, it was gone. I was able to get it out. The thorn in their side was something that was going to be there till they removed it. And until they removed it, there was always going to be this, this annoyance, this pain that was going to be there. But the problem was, is the nation of Israel didn't want to remove it. It was just like me. My wife kept telling me, you know what? Why don't you go to the doctor and and let him get that out? I'm like, it ain't bothering nothing. But it would. And occasionally, you know, it would almost kind of like fester a little bit and it would get red. And again, I just didn't think anything about it. I guess maybe there was some manliness there. It's like, it's just a little thorn. But it was always irritable. And sometimes that's, that's the problem is the sin and the temptation that Satan puts in front of us is not this outlandish kind of sin. It's always those minuscule things that we look at that, number one, we think we can handle, we think is not going to be a big deal to us, and we don't think is going to do any damage to us, but yet it does. And so it's one of those that uh, Satan will put that temptation out there, and we just kind of don't think anything about it. Occasionally, it'll bother us. Occasionally, it'll be something that we say, well, you know, I know I probably need to get rid of this, or I probably need to do something a little different. But then we just kind of cast it off. And what we don't realize is how that that pulls us further and further away from the Lord. And then you have the third truth that we find here. Because of that temptation, Israel will forget their God and pursue false gods that will lead them into sinful lifestyles. 
we're going to find here that one of the themes in the book of Judges is, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. What happened is this caused the nation of Israel to quit pursuing God. And when they quit pursuing God, they quit pursuing God's word. And when you quit pursuing God's word, you, you quit being obedient to God's commands. I'm preaching through the book of John right now, and in a very short section, Jesus reiterates three different times um, in the, the book of John chapter 14 that love of him and obedience to his commands literally go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And what we're finding here is that the nation of Israel they're showing that they don't have any love for God because what they're doing is they're not willing to be obedient to what God has commanded. And so what they're doing is they are giving in to this temptation. And when they give in to this temptation, the lust of their flesh is completely filled up with these sinful lifestyles of going to these temples and dealing with temple prostitutes and and all of this horrible kind of worship that they've forgotten about God because they're having their flesh... Um, satisfied, or at least that's what they think. And what Satan will do is he wants our flesh to be satisfied because when it is, there's this pleasure, the Bible says, in sin for a season. And what happens is he just um, overwhelms our senses with this pleasure of sin during this period of time, and we completely forget about God. And it's in those times that, you know, some people that I've counseled and some people that I've talked to, they will always say, you know, I was walking with God and I didn't really think that I was that far away. But before I knew it, I was in over my head in this addiction or in this sin or in pornography or in whatever it may be. And what they're they're telling you is, you know what, I, I kind of just lost my love for the Lord. I quit being obedient and I fell into this temptation and this sinful lifestyle just overwhelmed me with uh, satisfying or what I thought was satisfying my pleasures of my flesh and I just forgot about God. And that's a scary place to be because that's exactly what Satan wants us to do because now we're not going to look to God for help. We're not going to ask God to move in our lives. We're not going to try to pursue Christ-likeness. We're not going to want to spend time in prayer. We're not going to want to grow in the Lord. And now what we're doing is we're actually regressing. And that's what Satan loves. Because now what what we find is that every one of us have a circle of influence. And if you're one of those people who were a follower of the Lord, and all of a sudden you've given in to these temptations and you've not driven sin out of your life that God has made you aware of, now what starts to happen is that you're going to start looking at Or other people are going to start looking at your life and saying, Wow, you know, I thought they were a Christian. I thought they were a follower of the Lord. And now look at them. Look at what's going on in their lives. They're no different than, you know, Joe over here who's an alcoholic. And so what starts happening is you don't even realize, but you begin to lose your testimony. You begin to lose your influence on ministering to other people. Because what's happened is you are so blinded by the lust of your flesh being satisfied that God is not even on your radar. And then 
Let's look at verse 4 here. Verse 4 and 5. And to me, this is the sad culmination of everything. It says, When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they named that place Bochum and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Now, just kind of reading that like that, we may look at it and say, well, you know, okay, the nation of Israel, do you notice it doesn't say that they repented? You know what this is? This is the quintessential, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. That's really what this is. The nation of Israel were fine doing what they wanted to do. God called their hand on it. And when God called their hand on it and they realized, oh my goodness, we're not going to be able to have God and worship these other gods at the same time because God's telling us he refuses to move on our behalf now. They wept loudly. But it doesn't say that the weeping brought them to repentance It doesn't say that the weeping made them sit down and realize what they were doing was wrong. What did they do? They just offered sacrifices to the Lord. You remember the passage in the book of 1 Samuel? Obedience is better than sacrifice. See, what the nation of Israel thought right here is, oh gosh, God caught us with our hand in the cookie jar, so what we're going to do is we're going to go back to doing works. We're going to go grab a couple of bulls and goats and, you know, doves and and lambs and we're going to sacrifice them and everything will be okay again. That's not, that's not at all what God is, is talking about here. God did not say what he did to the nation of Israel here because he says, I want you to go offer me a bunch of sacrifices just to kind of mend everything. When we fall and pray to temptation... When we've allowed ourselves to give in to temptation and we sin, God doesn't want us to try to go to church more. God doesn't want us to try to read our Bible more. God's not wanting us to try to sit down and make sure that, you know, we do all of these different things. What God wants us to do is come to Him with a broken heart, a contrite spirit, and He wants us to repent of those sins, and He wants us to put our allegiance and our trust in Him alone. But what Satan can do very quickly is just convince you, listen, you know what? God loves you. He's not going to get rid of you. So just just go to church a little bit more and you'll be fine. You can do both. You can go to church and you can be the obedient little Christian and go to church and do that. And you can still do this over here. No, you can't. See, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church is where you gather with other Christians to use the gifts, uh, spiritual gifts that God has given you for the advancement of the kingdom and to gather and corporately worship God together. But too often what we've done is we've made coming to church the quintessential thing to prove that you're a Christian. And that's not it. Just doing a bunch of stuff does not mean that, that that's going to help you. See, this verse shows how bad things had gotten. When the people heard the bad news, they wept loudly, but it didn't lead them to repent. They wept because of what God wasn't going to do, not because of their recognition of their own sin. See, they wept because God wasn't going to fight their battles for them. They weren't weeping because they found out and recognized they were living in sin. 
See, that's one of the scariest things that we have in our nation right now, especially in our churches. We so infrequently preach on sin that a lot of people have no idea what it means to really repent. And so we may recognize we've got sin in our lives. But what that leads to is us being sorry we got caught rather than repentant of the sin. We're more worried that because I've sinned, God's not going to do fill in the blank rather than the fact of just recognizing, you know what, I have sinned against God and my relationship with God has a break in it and I need to make sure that we fix that. See, the idea of repentance is to bring us to a point where we recognize the sin we've committed. Repentance is not just to get things right with God so God will start doing things for us again. Repentance is us getting back into a right relationship with the Lord. And the nation of Israel was more worried about what God was not going to do for them than they were about the fact that God is telling them, you're you're living in sin. So I pray that this has challenged your heart. I pray that this has uh, encouraged you as well to be able to sit down and uh, you know, help take a look at your own life and, and me as well, look at my life and say, you know, am I really truly repentant of sin that's in my life or is it one of those things I'm just kind of sorry I got caught? Because I tell you, the one thing that you don't want to do is ever get to a point to where God is going to say, listen, I'm going to stop moving on your behalf. That's not That's not a place you want to be. And so I pray that if this has encouraged you, that you share it with somebody today. I pray that you would, uh, whatever platform you listen to it on, that you would give it a five-star rating to help it get out there a little more and leave a review um, uh, on there. I pray that uh, most of all, uh, that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that you would understand that Jesus loves you and He truly wants a relationship with you. That's why He died on the cross and paid your sin debt. And I encourage you to find somebody who's a, a Christ follower and to be able to contact them and talk to them about what it means to be a Christian. Also pray that you would go out and share your story with somebody today. God's going to put somebody in your path that you can share your story with and to talk about His goodness and His grace and mercy and love. So I encourage you to do that. We look forward to getting back into God's Word next week. I pray that you have a blessed, wonderful day.